Would you turn your Bible, please, to Joshua, the third chapter, Joshua chapter three. May we pray together. Our Heavenly Father, it is a joy to be in the house of the Lord today. We're grateful for the songs that have reminded us of the faith of Christ. We pray that someone who has never turned to Jesus will be hungry and thirsty for the water of life. We pray you will encourage every Christian, some who have had exceedingly heavy burdens to bear. Bless those who are sick. Watch over our missionaries today and our military men and women. Take care of our team in Texas. And as we stand to preach here, they're standing to preach there and to sing and to give the glorious gospel out. We pray that across these miles, together we would honor the King, that Jesus would be praised and someone would be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a powerful passage of Scripture. Moses, the servant of the Lord, was dead, and God said to Joshua, Arise and go over this Jordan. Now Moses had some sons, but they had not paid much attention to their daddy. One of the most serious sins among us today is the dishonor to mother and father. The old man, the old woman, they call him. Boys and girls, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Always respect them. Remember they make mistakes, sometimes they're wrong, but they're always your dad and mother and they need to be honored just because God said that. Moses' sons did not honor him. That's one of the unpreached sermons from the Bible. I don't know whether you've ever heard a sermon on Moses' sons. But there was a young man in the camp of Israel who honored Moses. Everywhere Moses went, he went with him. When he was a young boy, he wanted to get close to Moses. In his teen years, he wanted to walk with Moses. And he got as close to that man of God as he possibly could. And there came a day when Moses went up on Mount Sinai. And Joshua had walked so close to Moses that it was almost a natural thing for God to say, Moses, bring Joshua with you. As far as we know, he's the only one that accompanied Moses when the Ten Commandments were given. Joshua, the son of Nun, we don't know much about his daddy, nor his mother, but we know that there was a hankering in Joshua's heart for the things of God, and he got as close to the man of God as he could. I'd like to encourage you to do that. 
I've observed through the years that the children and the teens that are taught to honor the man of God and to get close to him and to work with him are many times those men and women that God wants to use. And so Joshua walked with Moses until Moses walked home to God. And the Bible tells us that God buried Moses on the mountains of Nebo. <clears throat> and he said to Moses, now I'm going to give your leadership to Joshua, the son of Nun. And God began to deal directly with Joshua and he led the armies of Israel and the men and women of Israel to the brink of the Jordan River. It was high flood stage. And Joshua stood there trembling, the fear of God in his heart. The record doesn't say it, but I'm sure that Joshua must have said, now Lord, how are we gonna get across the Jordan? God said, I'm glad you asked, that's no problem for me. You have the priests march down there and start across the Jordan and I'll do for you what I did for Moses when he crossed the Red Sea. And so they marched across the Jordan River on dry ground and God pulled back the waters and they walked across on dry land and a few weeks ago I talked to you about those 12 stones in the, that God told Joshua to put in the bottom of the Jordan River on the bed of the river. They're still there. If we'd ever see the Jordan go dry, you'd find those stones. And he said, you take 12 other stones and put them on the, on the uh, backs and the shoulders of your men and take them across the Jordan River and put them over there on the other side and erect them as a memorial so you'll never forget that the battle belongs to God and God's in charge. So they put that over there. The stones in the foot, in the bottom of the river, bed river, river bed, and then the stones over on the other side of the Jordan River. And they marched across. And when they got across, God said, now Joshua, there are 40 years of wilderness wanderings back there. Only two of you were present when you left Egypt. That's one of the most moving thoughts in the Bible to me. All the armies of Israel, over a million people left Egypt 40 years ago. They came to Kadesh Barnea. God sent the 12 spies, told Moses to do it. 12 of them went in. They looked around the land where God wanted them to settle, the land of Canaan. He'd already given it to them. He told Abraham years before, this is going to be your land. He told Isaac that. He told Jacob that. And he said, I want you to have that land. Moses sent the 12 spies in there. Ten of them came back and said, we can't do that. Well, they're, they're giants in the land. They're walled cities. We can't do anything with that place. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, came back and said, we're well able to do it because God is on our side. But they listened to the ten. They were scared out of their wits and they refused to go. And so God said, all right. You see, God never makes you do anything. Everybody that serves the Lord is a volunteer. Primaries, remember that. If you're ever going to serve the Lord, you have to volunteer to do it. Juniors, remember that. 
If you're ever going to serve the Lord, you have to volunteer. Teens, remember that. If you're ever going to serve the Lord, you have to volunteer. Adults, let's remember that. If we're ever going to be anything to God, we have to say, here am I, Lord, use me. That's what Caleb and Joshua said. The rest of them said, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you like it is. It's just too big a job for us. We don't have the money to do it. We don't have the, we don't have the, we can't do it. And so they didn't. God said, all right, here's what will happen. You're going to wander around this wilderness for 40 years. And all the generation that said, no, we can't do it, you're going to die. And your carcasses will be buried in the wilderness. But my two servants, Joshua and Caleb, will live to see the promised land. It's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing to drag your feet when God says, get going. And so, 40 years went by. And all that generation died. And God said, Joshua, they're all gone except you and Caleb. And your fathers in the wilderness forgot me and they forgot that you were to circumcise the male children. Now I want you to stop right here and have a convocation and do what I told you to do. Seal their faith with that circumcision. Now you know they could have easily said, well now Lord, you don't understand. We're going into this enemy territory and if, you, if, if we do that, it's gonna be impossible for these men to fight because it's gonna hurt and they won't be able to ready to fight. They didn't say anything like that. They just said, all right, God will do what you say to do. I'm saying this to you to say this, dear friend, we cannot apply human rationale when God says to do something. We just have to say, Lord, I'll do it. Doesn't make sense, I'll do it. I don't understand it, but I'll do it. And so they did it. Three or four or five days went by. And then God said, all right now, Joshua, I want you to tell them something. And here's what he told them to tell them in chapter 3. Beginning of verse 1, and Joshua rose early in the morning. They removed from Shechem and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests of the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it that you may not that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. What a commission. Sanctify yourselves. That word sanctify does not mean sinless. You know, we have the idea sometimes that when we, we deal with the word sanctification that that means you become sinless and you never sin anymore. Sanctify is a word that simply means set apart to God. Now it's set apart from yourself and from the world unto God. Now there's a sense in which when a man and woman marry, they sanctify themselves. And if they would remember that after the marriage, there'd be a lot fewer divorces. For you see, sanctification means 
set apart for another's use, for another's blessing. And so when the man comes to the marriage altar, he sanctifies himself to his wife. When the wife comes to the marriage altar, she sanctifies herself to her husband. They no longer belong to themselves. His body no longer belongs to him, it belongs to her. Her body no longer belongs to her, it belongs to him. And if they would keep faithfully this tryst of sanctification, there'd be a lot of happier families. The same thing is true of a Christian. When you come and trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you give your heart to Him, and you profess this in baptism, you are sanctifying yourself to another. You're saying, I'm setting myself apart for God's use. Not my own use anymore. The question is not whether this pleases me, whether this is what I want to do. The question is, is this going to honor God? Is this what God wants me to do? And so we're set apart to God. And God said, Joshua, you need to have a re-sanctification meeting. And you get all the people together and you say to them, sanctify yourselves. Set yourselves apart unto God from the things of the world, from the things of self unto God. I think God would say that to us today. In this hot July of 1991, just a few more years, eight or nine years left of this century, I think the Lord would say, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord wants to do wonders among you. And I want to suggest three areas. Number one, to loyal dedication. Now you see, when you sanctify yourself, you set yourself apart, you set yourself apart from the past murmurings that people of Israel had murmured and grumbled and grumbled and grumbled. They remind me of some people, oh, they grumble on Monday, grumble on Tuesday, grumble on Wednesday too. They grumble on Thursday, grumble on Friday. They grumble the whole week through. <laughs> and that's what Israel did. They just grumbled and murmured and grumbled and murmured. They wanted to kill Moses and get rid of him every time they had a problem. And there are lots of people like that. Now, when you set yourself apart, when you sanctify yourself, you set yourself apart from that mumbling and grumbling and murmuring from the things of the past. You set yourselves apart from all the past defeats. I don't believe there's anybody in this room who hasn't been defeated. I don't believe there's anybody in this room who hasn't had their feelings hurt. You set yourself apart from that. You also set yourselves apart from yesterday's victories. I'll tell you, it's wonderful to have victory. But when I was in high school, Manuel, DuPont Manuel, years ago, now I didn't play football, but I always went to the football games, every one of them. I loved them. I I liked football better than any of the other sports. I don't know, maybe I vicariously took out frustrations on the other people when I saw those guys, big guys, go down and knock everybody's body down. I don't know. But anyway, when I was in the, I graduated in three and a half years. So I didn't stay the whole time. But in, in uh, the, the, my second year in high school, Manuel won the whole year long. Everything. Good, wonderful, wonderful team. Didn't have any defeats at all. While they were on top of the world, of course, they graduated about six of the top football guys at that year. 
So the next year they came back, boy, this is going to be a great year. Look what we did last year. Look what we just mowed them down. And the year I graduated, we didn't win anything. And the final shame and defeat came on Thanksgiving Day when we played male high and lost 45 to nothing. <laughs> you see, we have to set ourselves apart from yesterday's victories. Yesterday's blessings aren't going to do for tomorrow. Amen. Yesterday's victories aren't going to do for tomorrow. Every day is new. Every year is new. Every decade is new. Every century is new. And so God said, Joshua, set yourselves apart from yesterday's defeats, from yesterday's murmurings, yesterday's grumblings, yesterday's sins. Don't let those sins just hound you and grind away at your mind and make you live low lives. Amen. And feel like you can't ever accomplish things because you had some defeats yesterday. And set yourselves apart from yesterday's victories. And all the joy and glory and victory of it. And remember, you've got a new battle just ahead of you. And that's what we need to say. As God speaks to us, we need to say, I want to sanctify myself. Because the tomorrow the Lord wants to do wonders among us. We ought not to live in the past. Amen. I'm thankful. We have a lot of things, precious memories. I like that song. We sing at funerals. I think we ought to sing it in church sometime. Precious memories, uh, all the unseen angels and all those wonderful things of the past. But listen, faith is the victory. As we march to Emmanuel's land, I like the song, Come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord and, and dust around the throne. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, wonderful Zion. Let's go forward and not go backward. That's what God was saying. And so we need a loyal dedication to the work, to dependence upon Christ. I like the little poem, and so I go on not knowing. I would not if I might. I'd rather walk with God in the light than walk. I'd rather walk alone. I'd rather walk with God in the night than walk alone in the light. We need to go forward conquering the enemies of sin and indifference and division and prejudice and sat satisfaction and forgetting the things that are past. Let's go on. We need to move on, secondly, to a loving fellowship as a church and as individual Christians. Amen. The old-time religion makes me love everybody. Amen. Makes the Baptists love the Methodists. Make the Methodists love the Episcopalians. <laughs> you see, when Christ is in our heart, there's a love for God's people. It makes the adults love the kids. It makes the kids love the adults. You know, talking about generation gaps, isn't that silly? I won't tell you kids why, there, why there's a generation gap. It, it, I, it doesn't have to be, but I know why it is. It's because you don't practice what the Bible says. But adults are just as mean and honorary, just as like the kids are. You see, I've seen kids walk down the aisle, walk, supposed to be walking down around here, and they run, run, and they bump into people and don't care what happens. So an adults look and say, <laughs> look at those kids. See? Kids, honor, your, honor these adults. Don't bump into them. Make them die of heart failure when you open the door for them and hold the door while the adult goes in first. That'll shock them. They won't even believe that's you. They say, is that really you? 
There don't have to be any generation gaps. And adults, let's love the kids. Amen. They're not a grown up yet. They're not adults, they're kids. Let them be kids. Amen. But we need training kids. Amen. We need to, be, to train ourselves to be what God wants us to be. Amen. There needs to be a loving fellowship in our lives between our own heart and our parents and between our heart and other people. There ought to be a great molding together of spiritual fellowship of God's people as we walk forward together. Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And you know, one of the things is I've studied the, the books of the Bible and, and study this in, in your own private devotionals. Notice, even though they had grumblings and murmurings among themselves, how loyal the Jews were to the Jews. They didn't marry outside. Christians could learn a lot from that. You know, God says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. God never planned that a Christian marrying a person is not saved. They were loyal. And, and when, there were, when they came up against enemies, the Jews fought on the side of the Jews. You, you see, we need to have a a Christian fellowship so that we're not critical one of another. But we love each other. <laughs> and last of all, because my time is gone, let me give you this. Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord wants to do wonders among you in the area of a living faith, a living faith. <laughs> My faith has found a resting place. It is the Word of God. Amen. But did you know that the Word of God is a living, living book? There's nothing dead about it. Amen. You study Latin, it's a dead language. You can get some inspiration from Shakespeare, but it means about the same thing every time you read it. But you read the Bible, and the Holy Spirit uses that and he says something a little bit different to you every time you read it. It's living, it's alive. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And the living faith is what we need. A living faith that says, I will go forward, I will serve the King, I will do what God wants me to do. It all begins by giving your heart in faith to Jesus Christ, trusting Him as your Savior. And then in living faith, we read His Word. In living faith, we pray, expect God to answer. In living faith, we go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night, faithful unto death. In living faith, we claim great things from God and expect great things from God. In living faith, we place God's tithe and our offering in the offering plate. Not because we're rich. Not because we have plenty of money. We know where all the rest of the bills are going to, how they're going to all be paid. That isn't it at all. We just, by living faith, say, Lord, 
you're first in my life and I love you and I'm going to do this. This is just a symbol of my love to you. A living faith that goes to win souls to Christ. You know, there's no end to what God can do in the days ahead. The only thing that limits what this church can do is our faith. Now, I want to demonstrate this to you. You get up on a day when your faith isn't very strong. You know what you're going to do with this little slip? Put it in your Bible, put it on the coffee table, and you go out to work without it. You go out, get up on a day when you say, boy, I love my church, and I love my Jesus, and we're looking forward to a great Sunday on August. I'm going to take a bunch of these things with me today. I'm going to get somebody to sign them up. And you go out, and by faith, you could sign up 100 people to be here on that day. That's living faith. We say, preacher, I just hadn't thought of it like that. Well, start thinking of it like that. You see, we need to think where everybody we meet, where are they going to spend eternity? You may not have time to stop and witness a long time to everybody, but you can give them a gospel track. You can say it would mean a lot to me if you'd come to Sunday school on August the 11th. I want you to hear Dr. J. Harold Smith, one of the greatest preachers. He's preached to lots of people. Every day he preaches to millions of people. And I want you to get in on it. Well, they'd like to come. See, that's living faith. Living faith is not some dead faith that stopped the day you gave your heart to Jesus. And you said, I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Woo, I'm so glad I'm not going to hell. Now I can just go on walking and live and do anything I want to do. Well, that's not living faith. Living faith changes you on the inside. And it kept you, keeps you going. Joshua, tell the people to sanctify themselves. For tomorrow the Lord wants to do wonders among you. Can you imagine the wonders that God could do with this church? With you as an individual. None of us has lived up, lived up to his potential. Now there's an argument among the knowledgeable people, knowledgeable people about whether environment or inheritance decides what you do in life. There are people who say, well, the cards are already stacked against you when you're born. So according to your genes. And you have to, you just, some people just can't amount to anything. Some people can't do anything. So they just live low lives. Other people say, well, I believe that those genes may set limitations, but I don't know anybody that's ever lived up to their limitations. So I'm going to I'm going to do all I can and study all I can and, and sharpen the, the acts that God has given me. And I'm going to be what God wants me to be. And I'm going to do everything I can. The difference is not the IQ. The difference is faith. I've known some people that you'd think couldn't do anything. And they have blessed millions of people. So can you. So can you. So can you. Sanctify yourselves. Set yourselves apart from the murmuring and the grumbling and the sins 
and the defeats and the low living and the victories and the joys of yesteryear and let's go out and try something new for God. Do you know that the world would never have remembered Winston Churchill if he had died before he was 65? We wouldn't remember Winston Churchill. He did every, everything he did was he did after he was 65. If President Reagan had died when he was 65, we'd never known him as the governor of, of California. We'd never known him as the president of the United States. He did the greatest things he ever did after he was 65. And some of you characters, and I love you, use that term advisedly, have decided that you're going to retire and just quit it all because you you're 65. Why, you're just getting ready to do the greatest work you ever did. Don't quit. Keep on going. Dr. Lee used to pray, Lord, please keep me from being a bitter, mean old man. And God did that. Just keep on keeping on, go on going on. Church, you'll be 36 years old on August the 11th. Just keep on keeping on. See what God wants to do with you in the next 50 years, if the Lord tarries. Can you visualize what God wants to do? Can you visualize new buildings, new plans, new signs pointing to where the church is? New victories in the church. A fresh anointing of God's Holy Spirit. There's no end to what God wants to do. Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord wants to do wonders among you. But it begins on an individual basis. Person here, person here, person here. I want to tell you, and I'm going to be quit. I'll, I'll quit in a minute. The key to revival is always one person. Always. Before this revival meeting at Riverside started, Brother Johnny and I went out and visited. And we visited uh, in a home of a young man that wasn't even home. We left a note for him and prayed. He was going to observe his 16th birthday uh, the next Monday. I said to his mother, now you be sure to tell him we want to see him in the revival meeting and at Bible school we're going to come by and pick him up. I don't know why God just sort of laid him on my heart. He came Monday and Monday night and Tuesday and Tuesday night and Wednesday and he started bringing others with him, teenagers, 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 T-E-E-N-A-G-E-R-S. They sat in church and didn't talk and didn't pass notes. Halfway through the revival, they decided they wanted to sit up front. They came and sat over the front. Several of them got saved. Several of them will be baptized tonight. We've had one of the greatest weeks out there we've ever had. One person. Just one person. Revival can start in the junior department. If there's one junior, one junior quit talking and quit passing notes and start listening and say, I want to be somebody God can use. Revival can start in the primary department. If God will just, let, if one primary would say, Lord, I want to be used by God. Revival can start in the college department, in the youth department, in the adult department, in the choir, anywhere. If one person will say, Lord, I'm going to sanctify myself, turn away from the past, I'm going to be what God wants. If one deacon 
one teacher, just anybody. I've seen that happen again and again. Years and years ago, it started with Ronnie Hicks. I've seen it happen with many, many people. God wants to do something. He wants to use you. Are you available? Are you available? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the goodness of God. We pray that the Holy Spirit would move in spiritual strength and power and touch every one of us, that we might sanctify ourselves, set ourselves apart to your use, to say, Lord, use me for thy glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please.